think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. Now the fun begins. Ha ha ha. Hello. How are you today? My name is Michael. You should know that by now. And I'm here to tell you that God always acts in accordance with his nature. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. You already knew that. I know you did. You're smart children, and you figured out all of this as we go. And I warned you last week that we were going to begin to move in a different direction here. So what I mean by that is we have applied. Well, we've not applied, but we've gone through the genesis of things, the beginning, and we have seen how God is working and what that actually means for us. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not clever enough to hunt out and distill new aspects of worldview in every little section of scripture. If you are that clever, then don't ever teach the Bible because you will find things that no human being should ever find in scripture and you will do yourself and everyone else a giant disservice. So since no one is or should be that clever, what we will now do since we have completed Genesis and built some foundations is now construct upon them. Nobody builds a foundation just so they can say, hey, check out that awesome foundation. Now, look, maybe, excuse me, maybe there are just some really weird, I don't know, weird, cool concrete guys, and they're just like, dude, we build amazing foundations, and that is all we do. And you know what? God bless you, more power to you, but I can't live there. And the worldview of the Christian is meant to be lived out in the world that we live in, which means that the worldview that we are constructing needs to actually be something that we can functionally use. A foundation is a beginning, but we can't live there. So now that we have established a foundation, and again, if you have not established this foundation, stop listening to my voice. Go back, back, my child, and listen to the previous episodes. They will, in fact, do you good. With that foundation in place, though, we can look through the rest of Scripture and begin to see those foundational aspects in, uh, on display and being demonstrated by God and the people whom he is working through. Who he is working through? I don't know. English people, send me a message and let me know how I got that wrong. <clears throat> So that means as we can take the rest of these chunks through Scripture, we can actually begin to see how the worldview foundations apply and then hopefully build a nice little bridge to wherever you are sitting today so that you can take that and construct it in your world as well. That means we have to keep moving. So Genesis is completed, which means if you know your Bible at all, you know we are moving to the book of Exodus. Now, warning. I am preaching through Exodus on Sunday mornings. We have just arrived at Mount Sinai and completed chapter 19. The temptation here will be to try and... Actually, the temptation for normal people would be to try and avoid rehashing everything we do on a Sunday morning in what is supposed to be a very, very limited section. That is not my temptation. My temptation is going to be to not gloss over this too quickly, but still ensure we actually cover this with a bit of detail and foreshadowing. No promises shall be made that we shall be successful. But let's dive in. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household. You know these kids, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. 
All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number. Yes, I know there are some places that have a different number. Don't panic. You can work that out yourselves. The sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty, so the land was filled with them. This goes back to our foundation. Who's accomplishing this? Well, God is. He's the one who opens the womb. He's the one who provides the offspring. So he is fulfilling the promise to Jacob, which is also the promise to Isaac, which is also the problem to a- promise to Abraham, which is also part of the promise given to Noah and his uh, progenitors going all the way back to the garden. God has promised, and he is accomplishing. He is fulfilling these things. He is also preserving this people. Go back and look at the titles, people. These are our foundations at work. Now, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He's also sanctifying them. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. No, I have no idea where that voice came from or why that is Pharaoh's voice. I don't know if it'll be Pharaoh's voice in a chapter or two. We'll just have to wait and find out. But notice, we're going to deal evilly with these people. We are going to deal treacherously with them. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. Ramses. We put the extra A in there because that's what the NASB does. And no, that doesn't bother me that I have nowhere in my brain thinking that the Pharaoh of the Exodus is Ramses just because the city has the same name. Names get used and recycled all the time. I mean, my name is Michael, for crying out loud. Go back and look at the United States Social Security information. More children were named Michael from 1960 to, like, 1997 than any other name in this country. So, I mean, names get recycled quite a bit. I also see this, if you want to see this in action, watch American Weather Channels. They're frightening and entertaining all at the same time. And you will see, I I hate, they'll zoom in on the map. I was just doing this this morning. They're zooming in to show you this um, severe thunderstorm. And they're zoomed in so tightly that there's no borders that are discernible, except for like counties. And I can't decipher them because I don't live in the state and I've not seen them. So I'm looking at the names, trying to read them and going, so where am I? Okay, wait a minute. Athens, Decatur. Oh, we're in Georgia. And then they zoom out. No, we're in Tennessee. Dagnabbit. There's an Athens, Georgia, and a Decatur, Georgia. There's also an Athens, Tennessee, and a Decatur, Tennessee. You people are driving me nuts. Names get used in multitudes of ways. So, you know the story. This continues on. The Israelites are enslaved, and yet the preserving work of God for his people in fulfilling his promises and accomplishing his purposes carries on, and the Israelites continue to multiply. They're, they're like bad pennies or cockroaches or something. I don't know. And no, I'm not comparing Israelites and Jews in general to cockroaches. I don't know if that was somebody's going to look at me. That was an anti-Semitic slur. No, no, it isn't. It's just like if you ever find one bug, you always find like 8,000 more, and they always tell you that in the cockroach commercials when they're telling you to call the exterminator. But like for every roach you see, there are 500 that you don't. Well, for Pharaoh, that's kind of like how this is with the Israelites. For every Israelite he sees, there's like three more being born at the same moment. So the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was named Puah. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, see, we've got a different Pharaoh voice already, and see them upon the birth stool. If it is a son, then she put him to death. If it's a daughter, then she shall live. Yeah, what could go wrong with this plan? Absolutely everything. Now, you know the story. The Hebrew midwives don't do it. Why not? Well, because they fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. Why? Because 
God is their creator. God is their sustainer. God is the one who upholds them. You want to get over your fear of man? Understand who God is and who people are in light of who God is. And you will have lack of fear of man in the same way as the Hebrew midwives. Once again, the way you live in this world is directly determined by what you think about it. Understanding that we are created beings dependent upon God means we will interact with this world much differently than if we think we are, you know, Random molecules running into each other. Now, within the midst of this world, God has not forgotten. He is still about the business of preserving, redeeming, sanctifying, and judging. And you will see all of that and more in the book of Exodus. Ah. plus your love gift, right? Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. You know the story. This is Moses, or at least he will be Moses when the daughter of Pharaoh names him, so they can't hide him very any longer, so they stick him in a little ark. Yes, that's the Hebrew, a little ark, and float him down the river. So they take a little ark, cover it with pitch, hearkening back to the work of Noah, and float him down the river. The sister follows, she's watching, Pharaoh's daughter finds, she names him Moses, she wants to keep him. It's like a little puppy. Ooh, he's so cute. Can I have him? Yay! Thank you, Daddy. Now again, God is intentionally, with the work that is going on here, hearkening back to the delivering and judging work that he did with Noah. Always remember that about the flood. The flood is not just a story of redemption, and it is not just a story of of judgment. We, you, we typically vacillate and go back and forth like a metronome, you know, ding, 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 back and forth. We're either, oh, it's all about just, just uh, judgment, or it's all about redemption. It's about both. God is redeeming his people according to his promises, according to his purposes, just as he has promised, and he is judging sin, just as his justice and holiness demands. Now, It came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Ha 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 ha! Moses won, Egypt zero! Ha ha ha! Problem. If Moses is going to accomplish these things, who's he going to need on his side? Why? See, I can say why because I know you said God. So if Moses is going to accomplish this, he's going to need God on his side. Why? Think through your worldview foundations. Why will he need God? And the answer is because he is a dependent being, incapable of operating outside of what God is accomplishing. Is God going to use Moses as a warrior, as a general, as the one himself who strikes at Egypt? And the answer is, no. No, he's not. Because they are dependent. They need to learn their dependence. And by they, I mean Israel, the people of God, need to learn their dependence. God will teach this to them. So no, he will not be the means of judgment. God will be the means of judgment. So what Moses is doing right now is not the plan. Therefore, it will not, cannot, and does not work. 
He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other, and he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But the man said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Hmm. Moses was then afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. Now, what I love about these questions is they're brilliant because the answer is yes. Who made you a prince? Well, what's the answer to that? Well, God did. Who made you judge? Well, God did. If he's a prince, then he's also the judge. If he's supposed to be the deliverer, then who is the one who has ordained all these things? And the answer is God has done this. Does Moses intend to kill him? No. But once again, the distrust is there. Why? Because Moses is not identified right now as God's people. So in the Israelite mind, there's question. Are you the one being preserved? Are you the one being saved? Or are you going to be the one being judged? And if you're the one being judged, then your action as judge over me is not something I'm really anxious to sign up for. So once again, uh, I have questions. So when Moses heard of the matter, I'm sorry, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. That's a reasonable response. I mean, you can't have princes running around breaking the law, killing your soldiers. That doesn't bode well for morale. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So things are about to pick up here. Business is picking up now. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And again, Exodus later on will tell you that Jethro slash Ruel is not just a priest in Midian, but he is priest of God most high in Midian. He is a worshiper of Yahweh. So he has, uh, uh, he's got daughters, and they fill the troughs. They've come to draw the water, fill the troughs. When the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So seven women can't defend themselves, but Moses can defend them from the shepherds. Who does this sound like? Hearkening back once again, what is God doing? He's connecting to his historical works. Does it sound like Jacob? Showing off his strength by pushing the rock off the well so that Rachel, who he's now got the hots for, can water the flocks? Hmm. I wonder. wonder. So they came, they drove them away, and they're happy. When they came to Ruel, their father, they said, Why? Uh, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what is more, even drew the water for us and watered the flocks. Again, how is Moses identified? Not as an Israelite, not as a follower of Yahweh, as an Egyptian. So he said, an Egyptian, I'm sorry, they said this. So he said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it you have left the man behind? I mean, come on, ladies. Dudes like this aren't growing on trees here. Think about it. Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughters a poor to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Notice, it's not I am a sojourner in a foreign land. I have been. I was, but now I am not. Which means Moses has found a home. Where? Where has Moses found a home? In a simple life, as a simple man, with a family that worships Yahweh. So, came about over the course of those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. Because he is a redeeming God, and he is a God who will judge the enemies of both himself and his people. So God takes notice. So what do you get now? 
We'll rapid fire this a little bit because we got to get through some chapters. Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. Angel of the Lord. That's Jesus, by the way. In a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire and yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, he said, the Lord called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Sorry, I can't do a better voice than that. I'm not James Earl Jones. And he said, here I am. He said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Smart man. Smart man. Now, again, you know this story. Moses is going to go back. He is empowered to go back. So the people will believe him. Why? Because he'll throw his staff on the ground. It'll become a snake. When he picks it up again, it'll be a stick again. When he puts his hand into his uh, cloak, it'll become leprous. When he puts it back in again, it'll be normal and healed. When he takes some water and pours it on the ground, it'll turn into blood. Remember, these are signs for the people of God, not the Egyptians. Why? Because the pagan doesn't have a biblical worldview. The pagan doesn't understand himself as created in the image of God. The pagan doesn't understand himself as dependent upon that creator. The pagan doesn't understand his life as dependent upon the salvific work of God. He doesn't understand that he is under judgment of sin. Therefore, when you show him the signs and wonders and miracles of God, he does not care. Hence, these signs are for the Israelites who are recognizing that they are created in the image of God, who are recognizing they are dependent upon him. That's why they're crying out to him for deliverance. Nothing else is delivering us. Maybe God can. It's amazing how once we finally get back to the right place, things seem to work. Excuse me. So because they do recognize these things, these signs will matter because they are leaning and capable of seeing. So Moses is empowered. Despite all his complaining, Aaron is finally given to him as a voice. You get this bizarre um, death circumcision uh, thing at the end of the chapter here. Uh, I just lost my spot here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, they departed. Moses said, go. came about there. It came about the lodging place, and the way to meet the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Again, um, I would just recommend going and finding the worship service on this and just downloading the sermon if you haven't listened to it. I go into a little bit more detail than I want to try to deal with it. I, I'm never going to be entirely certain, but I am fairly certain that. The him is Gershom that is going to be killed, and he's and that is also who is circumcised, because it's a foreshadowing of the death of the firstborn, which is what God has already told Moses is going to happen, because Pharaoh will be stubborn. Why will Pharaoh be stubborn? Because he doesn't recognize himself as dependent upon God. He doesn't see the judgment of God for his sin. Therefore, God is literally going to have to break him. So, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, and thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know this Yahweh, and besides, I won't let Israel go. I like how quickly they go from big, bad, let, let my people go, to the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. See, that would be bad because then we'll be dead. And then who's going to build your cities? Please, Mr. Pharaoh, please. Turn in the Roger Rabbit Please. Ah, what could go wrong here, right? 
now you're going, but I thought they, I, they do. Sin or sin? What's one of your foundations that would maybe address that? God is Savior. God is Sanctifier. When you fall short because you have not thought rightly, when you fall short because you have not trusted rightly, there is a God in heaven who has made a way. There is a God in heaven who has provided sacrifice, who has cleansed his people from all unrighteousness, and who is walking with them so that they may work out their salvation with fear and trembling. We can return to God in the midst of our sin because we know who God is and what he is doing on behalf of us. If we did not know and understand that, we would not be able to return to him. And we would, as Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, be of all men most to be pitied because we have nothing. And we have walked in falsehoods. That's not the goal. That's not what we're trying to get to. Instead, we're trying to recognize that we are who we are in light of what God has done precisely because of what God has done. Therefore, everything about our lives is a walking in faithfulness to God. Israel hasn't learned that part yet. Israel is going to learn that part, or at least they're supposed to learn that part. Always remember, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, these things are written so that it may be a benefit to us. Not always to them, but sometimes to those who come later. So everything gets worse. Pharaoh gets all uppity. He uh, he doubles the labors. He doubles the work, and yet he doesn't help them any. So Moses returned to the Lord, and, and the Israelites blame Moses. You know, and you kind of understand that. And he said, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Tisk tisk God, bad God, bad Yahweh. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke further to Moses, said, I am Yahweh, and appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but my by, but by my name Yahweh I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, in which they sojourned, and I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Realize what they've just rejected and walked away from. Literally every single one of our foundations. They've walked away from all of them. It is God who is, who they are trusting in. The God who will deliver, the God who will preserve them, the God who will sanctify them, the God who will judge their enemies, the God who will carry them through. This is the lesson. This is the teaching. Now, carry this forward because this is our last chapter this is where we'll we'll stop today carry this forward when we are interacting with the world we are interacting with both of those people looking in opposite directions and what I mean by that is Israel has has looked away because 
they are despondent and in cruel bondage. You ever wonder where the mental health crisis in our world comes from? It comes from despondency. It comes from a people walking away from God, a people not walking in an understanding of who God is, what he has done, and what that means for them. They are believing a lie and trying to make sense of the truth with a foundation of lies. It's, it's that scene in Elf where you know, Buddy sees the fake Santa Claus and he finally goes, you sit on a throne of lies. That's the world. The world sits upon a throne of lies, and their ruler is the father of lies. He's a murderer and a liar from the beginning, so what does he do? He lies and he kills and he seeks to destroy John 10. I mean, come on. This is how they are walking. This creates problems. What's the cure? The cure is to understand the foundation rightly. Where do we come from? We come from God. He has made us. He has ownership. Therefore, we have an obligation to actually live in a certain way. And when we violate that obligation, amazingly, who'd have thunk this? It doesn't work out for humanity. This is again why the world systems break down families. The world systems break down communities. They break down societies. We hate each other. We don't trust each other. We can't even talk to our children. We can't talk to our families. We can't do any of this. And we act like... This is all just normal in the modern world. It's not normal. Children hating their parents, husbands and wives at each other's throats, you know, businesses lying and cheating and stealing to get the last little buck in in undermining their employees. None of this is normal. It's the product of sin. And the cure is returning to God. That's the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of this land. But Moses spoke before the Lord saying, Behold, the sons of Israel haven't listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. I love that part. See, Moses told the Israelites, and they don't care because they're too depressed. And so God says, go to Pharaoh. Tell him those people go. It's time to get to work. All those miracles, my mighty hand is about to be shown. And it is strong. And Moses goes, but, 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 but how's Pharaoh going to listen when your own people don't listen? And God says, go. <laughs> Do it. Do it anyway. There's no debate. There's no discussion. Christian, this is good news for us. If we are secure in our convictions— that we are created in the image of God, and that as his people we are dependent upon him, and as his people we know that he will preserve us and all of humanity around us, either for the day of salvation or for the day of judgment, and as we walk towards that salvation, that he will uphold us, that he will accomplish his purposes, he will fulfill his promises, and he will cleanse us from unrighteousness as we walk. If we believe all of these things, all of our foundational understandings, then we don't fear. There's nothing else to debate. We go to the world and say, no, you can't tell me that. That's sin. I will not engage in it. That is sin. I will not condone it. That is iniquity, and I will not abide by it. That is what God has called detestable. I will not celebrate it. This is the foundation. It's not about laws. It's not about preferences. It's about who God is and what that means for us. And that's why it ends. It came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am Yahweh. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. 
Moses and then we're going to get to Moses complaining again before God gets what? We'll, one little thing and then we'll, we'll end this here because this is where we'll pick up. The Lord said to Moses, I will make you as God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders. This is a judgment. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts. This is redemption. My people, the sons of Israel, accomplishing from the land of Egypt by great judgments, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded. Thus they did. Dun, da, 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 which is how this is supposed to work. I've said this before. I've said it on Sunday morning. I'll say it again here. Have a Bible verse. What I mean by that is be able to explain from a biblical perspective why you're doing what you're doing, why you're thinking what you're thinking, believing what you're believing, and holding to what you are holding to. Because if you are able to do that, then you will be able to rest and stand upon your worldview. If you are not doing that, then you know it is incumbent upon you to change your thinking. And I don't mean just change your mind. I mean change the way you think about things so that they are in alignment with who God is, what he desires of his people, and how those things work together. So, what have we learned here today, children? God sees all people. God will keep his people, and God will sanctify his people. These are our foundations in action in totality. Hopefully this is fun for you and a little bit useful. We're going to keep doing this and we're going to try to make our way through the entirety of scripture, thinking through these things in a worldview way so that we are able to see what God is doing and carry these ideas forward. Again, I can't carry them forward in every context. You have to do that. So see the principles, see the work that God is doing. I am not saying we will not add to our list of foundations and things, but hopefully as we're building a scaffold up here, you're going to be able to see that as the Bible's building, it's building in ways that demonstrate God and his attributes. And understanding those allows us to duplicate that scaffolding, so to speak, so that we can actually construct a consistent uh, grid, really, by which we evaluate and think through all the things that encounter us day by day. So, questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can go to the website, practicaltheologyministries.com. See all the links, all the resources. You guys know the drill, all the good stuff. Hopefully, life going well. Uh, continued prayers for Lou and family. Hopefully, he'll be in tomorrow, and we'll be able to go through some stuff. There's some fun things going on in the world. I say that jokingly. And if nothing else, we will be back on Thursday with uh, Cameron and sitting down going through some news. It's been a real good week. I think we're going to get some good laughs out of this one, but hopefully, again, see the world from a Christian perspective and think through it. So until then, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.